Good morning, everybody. Why don't we open our Bibles uh, to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 4. This year at Treasure in Christ Church, um, our aim is to make it a year where we really focus in on the preciousness of the Bible. The Bible as what we trust and what we proclaim. And that's going to be the banner over this entire year. It is the banner over our lives and has been, but we just want to take a concentrated effort to dig back deep into the foundation of what is central. And so, as we think about that, this sermon is going to be trying to lay some of those uh, ground, some of the groundwork for that theme. The Bible, what we trust and what we proclaim. And so we're diving into Mark chapter 4. And then in subsequent weeks, we will be diving into the book of Ephesians together and going through Ephesians. And so, uh, very thankful for God's precious and sufficient word. And I am looking forward to not only today, but to the months to come in his word together. Mark chapter 4. And as I look at Mark chapter 4, what I want to do is I want to read verses 1 to 9. This is commonly known as the parable of the sower. It is a story that is told in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in this parable of the sower, Jesus tells this parable in verses 1 to 9. And then he tells us what it means later on in verses 13 to 20. So that's what I want to read for us. 1 to 9, then 13 to 20. And then we'll go at it together. Word of God, Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 9, 13 to 20. Again, he, that is Jesus, began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen. A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it and yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now run to verse 13. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The one who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those who were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word, accept the word, and bear fruit. Thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. Let me pray. Father, I pray that you would take your word. And you would take it and drive it deep into our hearts. And you would change us from the inside out. I ask, Father, that 
none of us would be the same. I pray, Father, that Your Word by Your Holy Spirit would so grip our hearts that we would be known by humility, faith and repentance, hearing, accepting, and bearing fruit. Do what only You can do. Teach us, but not just our minds. Change our hearts. Give us deeper affection for Jesus in these moments than I pray we've ever had. And we want to give you the praise for your promises and your ability to secure your word for us today. Work in our church, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Billions of dollars are spent in the food industry in America. It is said that in July of 2018, $61.4 billion was spent in food in restaurants alone. It accounted for 33% in that month of 33% of retail sales for the month of July. We love food. I love food. You love food. We talk about it a lot, right? Where'd you go to eat? What did you have? Tell me about it. You can even see excitement rise up in the soul sometimes when you're talking about your favorite foods. There's this sense of smile, joy, anticipation. You can get really amped up when you talk about food. We spend a huge portion of our budgets on it. Sometimes we distract ourselves with it. Sometimes we Try to comfort ourselves with it. There's a whole category called comfort foods. We spend a lot of time with food. So it makes complete sense when Jesus compares himself to food. When he says, I am the bread of life. What is that meant to do for us? It's meant to cause us to say, something that is so essential, something that consumes a part of every single person's life, something that brings sustenance, that no one argues at all. It's just not up for debate that you need food. Jesus says, that's me. I am the bread of life. I am more essential than even bread itself. That is me. And so, it makes complete sense why the gospel writers would record this story and why when Jesus says, I'm teaching a lot of things in parables, it hones in right here on this parable. A parable about the Word. A parable about the Word. About the bread of life. About the, how much we need the Word of God even more than we need food itself. When Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness, He thought with the Word. Man does not live by what? By bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The Word of God is essential for the people of God. Now when Jesus came, He came preaching the Word. You'll see this regularly as you read the Gospels. He was preaching the Word. Preaching the Word. Even in the parable of the sower, we now see that He is showing us that the sower is sowing the Word. Let's say it together. The Word. The Word. Okay. He's sowing the Word. Now when He's doing that, it says in Matthew's account of the parable of the sower that He's sowing the Word of the Kingdom. The Word of the Kingdom. Now, why is that important? Why did Matthew include that? Because Matthew's audience was primarily a Jewish audience and they had their word, the Bible, in mind. And that kingdom was a kingdom that was spelled out in their scriptures. The kingdom of the coming Messiah. The kingdom of God. When He would reign and rule over all things. And so Jesus came, and when He came, He came proclaiming the word of the kingdom. The good news that a Messiah would come and change humanity forever we also see this in the book of acts acts chapter 8 verse 4 this is what the church took up that and those who were scattered this was about 
persecution. They were all wanting to hang out in Jerusalem and never kind of leave. Persecution comes, scatters them. Sometimes suffering comes so that the word would actually go forth. Hear that? May we not waste our suffering. Acts chapter 8. Suffering came that the word might go forth. Might spread. Acts chapter 8 verse 4. It says, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. This was what was on the lips of not just the leaders, but on every follower of Jesus. It was They were sharing with one another the apostles' teachings. Now here's why. Sometimes Christians are accused, those who believe that the Bible is the Word of God and that we should hone in on the Word of God as our food. Sometimes those Christians are accused of Bible idolatry. But when you understand why the Word was proclaimed in the Scriptures, you understand this is not an end in itself. It points us to the Savior. Why do you think it says in John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the what? The Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word has come to us in flesh, in living color, Jesus Christ Himself. So that when we read the Word, our primary aim is to see the Word in the Word. Our primary aim is to see Jesus. To feast on Jesus. To know a person. This is not a textbook. This is not a math book with facts. This is a love letter from God to us. This is a relationship. This is Thus says God, a living person speaking to His living people that we might relate to one another, that we might know Him, that we might know His Son. In an article I read this week by a man named Ed Welch, he entitled it what I entitled this sermon because it's a quote from Charles Spurgeon and it was this, Love your Bibles. Love the Word. And here's what Ed Welch says. About this idea that the Word is aiming at Jesus. Scripture is about Jesus. Moses wrote of Jesus in John 5 verse 46. The bread that came from the mouth of God, Deuteronomy 8.3, was Jesus who said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst, John 6.35. This means that as we feed on Scripture, we are feeding on Jesus Himself. The person is more prominent than the commands. Task number one in Scripture is to discover the suffering servant and risen Lord. That's why reading the Bible is so precious. We know a person. And as essential as food is day by day, more than that is feasting on Jesus Himself. And so, many of us have experienced it. I have seen it. When people have been suffering and the Word of God has strengthened the weary soul. I've experienced it. I've seen it. When the sadness of our days seem to eclipse any sense of goodness and you watch the Word of God over time begin to pull back the clouds, begin to open the door and shine hope where there's been hopelessness. We've experienced it when many of our family members or friends or people in a part of this church have been walking down a path of physical pain some, a path towards their final days. A path where they've had to wrestle with death. And we've seen the God of this universe, by His Holy Spirit, speak through His Word to give a sense of hope, encouragement. Remind us of the One who is the conqueror over death itself. We've seen it. 
Ed Welch says this in that same article. Although their stories, it's the stories of those who have experienced the Word comforting them. Although their stories are uniquely hard and beautiful, there is a way they are the same. They all fed on Scripture. They asked for Scripture from one another. They prayed Scripture. And as a result, though they were facing death, they were profoundly alive. The Scriptures bring life to circumstances that look like what is pronounced over them is death. There could not have been a circumstance in human history that looked worse than Jesus, the Son of God, perfect with nothing wrong, dying a sinner's death and being buried in a tomb. And yet, God spoke life into that situation and birthed the church out of such deep, sad, and painful situations. Now this whole passage, this whole passage, as you look at the end of verse 9, chapter 4, verse 9, Jesus makes this statement. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's a responsibility from the hearer now, as we read this word and as we see the importance of this word, to really process, to really study, to not just say, oh, that was an encouraging thing and move on, to not just lean on someone else's faith, but every single hearer, every single person to take this word and to say, God, do something here, right here in my heart. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I was talking to a brother this week about this very passage. And his words were this. That's a scary passage. Right? Four soils. You've got Satan. If you look over in the passage. First soil, verse 15. The word comes and is sown. But when they hear, they don't hear. Satan immediately pulls it away. The second soil, rocky ground. Therefore, the roots can't go deep. And even though they receive it with joy, they have no root in themselves. And when trial comes, when persecution comes on account of the word, they immediately fall away. Third soil. Others, it's, it's filled with thorns. And those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of possessions and riches and the desires for other things enter in and it chokes out the word. And it proves unfruitful. This is a call for endurance. This can seem scary. And so he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is a passage of warning that says the reader must be alert because imperceptibly, hear that word. Sometimes imperceptibly, we can be so overwhelmed by the difficulty of a season, by the trials that we walk through, that rather than walking into the word, we subtly start shifting away from the word. And as wealth increases or as prosperity comes, it talks to us. And we can be pulled away. And sometimes we don't even know it. And Jesus says, be alert. Look. But there is a fourth soil. A fourth soil that says, there is a good soil. And that good soil does three things. It hears the word. It accepts the word. And it bears the fruit of the word. Here's why I want to encourage you. This passage does not have to be scary. 
because people of God hear this. Your security is more about who is securing you than what you secure for yourself. It is more about who keeps you secure and do you trust the grip of his hands than it is about how tightly you can grip. The reason this gets scary is because you are tempted to hear, oh no, what if my grip gets weak? What if I can't hold on? What if the rope starts, the arms start giving out and it starts sliding through the fingers? What if I can't hold on anymore? That is not your worry. Because even when the arms seem to grow weak, there's a Savior who lifts you up. Where do I get this? I'm not just making this up. Philippians 1.6 He who began a good work in you, and might I say the book of Ephesians says He began it, He who began the good work in you will bring it to completion. And here's one of the most precious passages in all of Scripture. John chapter 10, 27 through 30. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. Who did that? God did. And they will never perish. And no one, say that, no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. Hear that. This is called meditating on Scripture. Greater than all. Say it. Greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. It's the double gripping of God upon your soul. The Son has you. The Father has you. You are gripped. The Spirit of God is stirring within you by His Word. And Jesus is just saying, don't coast. Don't go on neutral. Here. Accept and bear fruit, but lean. Lean on my grip of you. It doesn't have to be scary, friends. Our God has us. And so, I just want to take a few minutes to look at those three things. Hear the word, accept the word, and bear the fruit of the word. Hear the word, accept the word, bear the fruit of the word. The Word of God is important. It is precious because it points us to the Savior. It's a relationship document. It is the Word of the living God. And it's not just fact-finding. It is the living God speaking to us. These words are living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. They cut to the heart. This is our food. So, hear the Word. Where do I get these three things? I just want to make sure that you see it in the text. Mark chapter 4, verse 20. I'll read it again. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it, that is the word, and bear fruit that comes from hearing and accepting. That's why I say bear the fruit of the word. You hear, you accept, fruit comes. 30, 60, 100 fold. So, hear the word. He's doing a word play here. Because when he first told this parable, verse 3, I got to flip a page in my Bible, but you might not have to. In verse 3, he says this word. Anybody see the first word of verse 3? What is it? Listen. Listen. That's the same word that is in verse 20 for hear. Listen. Now, does that mean that unless Jesus says listen, he really doesn't want us to listen to his words? He's just, only when he says listen does he want us to listen to his words. No. Right? We do this all the time with language. I'll talk to my children and I'll say, now son, listen. Okay? 
Now, did that mean that when I talk to him at other times, he shouldn't listen? No. It means there's something unique. There's a sense of, I want the ears to perk up. Or, if you're really excited, listen to this. Does that mean you don't want to be heard any other time? No. It means this is exciting. This is intense. Focus in. Tune the ears in. This is what Jesus is saying about the word. Always listen to my words. Hear it. Listen. Why? Why does he want us to listen? Because listening assumes relationship. It assumes relationship. He's speaking. We listen. He loves to talk to us. And he has spoken in his word. He wants us there. But it's also because our trials are talking. Circumstances are talking. Riches are talking. That's why they're deceitful. They are saying things trying to lure you into thinking something that's not true. The intent of the riches is to say, lean on me. Trust in me. The trials are saying, this is hopeless. Where's that coming from? Why do you think it's the devil who was given so much press in Genesis chapter 3? He's a talker. He's cunning. Why do you think these things are pulled out of the soil? It's because trials talk and we listen and then we begin to question God. Riches come. They talk. We listen. We begin to think they are enough. It begins to choke out the Word. Trials, the devil wants them to crush the roots of endurance. But Genesis chapter 49. What the devil has intended for evil, I have purposed for good. God will allow, bring purpose, suffering into our lives. Not so that the roots would not grow deep, but on the contrary... Jesus, it says, learned obedience from what he suffered. Suffering was how the roots actually went deeper. What the devil wants to choke out the word is God's very means for implanting the word. Listen, he says. Listen. Listen. We must be listeners of the word. Now, here's something that's crucial. 101 of Bible reading. When you read the Scriptures, you are reading for the author's intent. You are not reading it for what you think it should say or what you want it to say. You are not reading it for what might accord with your circumstances or your experience. You are after one thing. What did God intend? What did he mean to say? Charles Spurgeon has been such a gift to me in these days. And I think he's exactly right when he says, experience can help us understand portions of the Bible that were we not to have experienced certain things, we wouldn't, no interpreter or no commentator could help us understand. There is a depth that we get, things come 3D. Because our experience allows us to understand some of the things of the Scripture. But we better be careful. Because I've also seen that our experience and what we are going through can become a cloud that distorts reality. Distorts even the Scriptures themselves because we stop listening and start projecting. And I want to tell you, we can do that in personal relationships as well. 
If God means for us to relate to Him by doing the hard work of understanding His intent, then don't you think that He wants us to relate to one another by doing the hard work of understanding what the person means, not what they, we think they mean? It's how He's wired humanity. We've got to do the hard work. I remember when I was studying in Minneapolis, one of the false teachers that was pretty prominent was a man named Clark Pinnock. Clark Pinnock was a proponent of what was called openness theology, that God doesn't know the future. And as you begin to study some of the things of Clark Pinnock and, and the scriptures he was using, here's what happened. Clark Pinnock was one of the most solid, Bible-believing Christians in his upbringing, loved the scriptures, believed them, but he experienced some extreme suffering. And as he then went back to read the word through the lenses of his suffering, he began to take it apart and reinterpret it. And reality began to be distorted. And even God himself was distorted. We must be careful. Jesus says, listen. Listen. Listen for what I'm telling you. This is why the word is so precious. But we must listen to what it is saying. Not what we want it to say or think it can say. But not only should we hear it, we should also accept it. You see that in verse 20. Hear the word and accept the word. Now the bridge between hearing and accepting, you see this throughout the scriptures is the word receive. To receive the word is, okay, I've heard it and now I've got to receive it because the word accept is not simply the word receive. It is to believe and to become convinced of so i think there's a bridge in between hearing and accepting and it would be receiving you follow here receive accept believe where do i get this idea of receive james chapter it's all over the bible but james chapter 1 verse 21 says this therefore Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. Do you hear that? Receive with meekness. You know why he put that in there? Because of what we just talked about. You don't get to hear what you want to hear. You hear because God is your authority and you believe what he says is more important than what you have to say. You receive with meekness the implanted word. Who's doing the implanting? He does that. We do that. But all the credit goes to him. Which is able to save the soul. Receive. Receive. Now this is playoff time for some of you who are football fans. And I think there's a lot of help here. It's not legal for a wide receiver to throw himself the ball. It's not how it works. There's, there's a quarterback or some other player that will throw the ball to one who has to catch it. Now, that receiver has to be within the range of the quarterback, right? He can't say, throw me the ball and be outside of the stadium while the quarterback's inside the stadium. I don't know of an arm that can do that. Might be one out there, but I don't know it. What's the point? In order to receive, you've got to be near to the one who throws. Let me give you another example. Take the rays of the sun and how we get the sun's warmth. Here's something I know to be a fact. You and I cannot move the clouds. You can't make clouds move away and say, sun, shine here. You can't do that. I can't do that. You can't make warmth. You cannot make the light of the sun happen. But you can choose whether you stay inside or whether you go outside 
to stand underneath the race. Okay, you following so far? Here's why this is important. We're talking about what does it mean to receive the word. It means you and I must place ourselves underneath the rays of God's word. We must be near to it like the receiver must be near to the one who throws. This is not optional. And here's something else. I cannot tell you when the clouds will move and these words will shine light into your heart. But I promise you this, it will happen. And when you are underneath His Word and when you are in His Word, I promise you, the Word of God tells me this. My experience bears it out. There will come a time when He explodes your heart because you have been underneath receiving the Word of God. We are receivers. And friends, it was this week. I'm reading through the book of Mark and as I was reading through that in my own personal devotions, I read this. I read this passage and God just used it. I can't tell you probably more than I have fingers and toes how many times I've read this passage. But I read it again. And as I read it again, just reading through the book, God did that. And here's what pressed in upon my heart. You've gone through a lot. And I even think the church has gone through a lot. And here's what I know to be true. I love my Savior. And I love his word. Who did that? That was God. Because he tells me in this passage, that's not always the case. It's not always the case when trial comes. It's not always the case when suffering comes. But it is the case. In this heart, that is solely owing to the mercy of Jesus. That's what God did. He was kind enough to explode my heart. And I shared that with a brother this week. It was so funny because I've had these experiences. I shared that with a brother this week and he says, well, I'm glad that hit you. He said, I did two devotions this morning. I like read in two different places. And it was just like nothing. Nothing hit my heart. Have you been there too? I have. Once again. I cannot tell you when, and I cannot tell you where, but I can tell you this. God will use your humility to say, I want to receive from the Word day by day to explode your heart and give you faith because He loves you. So friends, we must hear the Word and we must receive the Word. Then as that word comes, accepting it, that this God is trustworthy. I believe what he says is true. And I want to live my life for him. And so, somebody gave me these words this week. Gave me these words from the word and I just want to give them to you. There's some promises found in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. I just want to lay them out as a buffet. That anyone, by simple faith in Jesus, these promises are yours. My prayer is that you'll accept it. You'll not just hear it. You'll receive it and you'll believe that that is God's promise for you. Here it is. One day, when we see Him face to face, by simple faith and repentance in Christ Jesus, we will eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. This promise is for you, O weary Christian. We will receive 
the crown of life. This promise is for you, suffering saint. We will not be hurt by the second death. This promise is for you, church. We will be given white, a white stone with a new name, a fully new identity. We will reign with Christ. We will be given the morning star, the glory that shines up the universe. That is going to be ours. We will be clothed in bright garments. We will never be blotted out of the book of life. We will be made a pillar in his temple, which means we will be in his presence always, always, always. And he will write his name on us. Mine. You are mine. And he will write the name of the city of God upon us because we've got a new home. We are citizens of a new place. And we will look upon God never excluded from his presence. Those promises are yours. Not because you're perfect, but because he is and you trust in him. The only place you get that is from his word. The only place. The only place you get a word that's different than the word of your trials and different than a word of your suffering and different than the word of your riches that speak deceitfully to you is in this word who points you to the word that you might behold the beauty of Christ. Dear friends, accept it. Hear, receive, accept And when that happens, the fruit of the word will bubble up out of your life. The third point is that we must bear fruit. Quickly, there's something that's pretty clear. As you read the New Testament of fruit bearing, here's the first thing I want us to see. Fruit bearing is from Jesus. John chapter 15, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Where does the fruit bearing come? It comes from the word, but it's empowered by the word. Jesus himself. That's how you bear fruit. Spirit of God is working within you. Here's what else. I know to be true from the scriptures. Fruit bearing is intimately connected to prayer. Fruit bearing is intimately connected to prayer. John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Fruit bearing is connected to prayer. It is connected to calling out to the living God that he might work fruit in you and through you. Fruit bearing accords. Number three, the third idea, fruit bearing accords with righteousness. It accords with righteousness, with the work of the Spirit to the glory of God. Philippians 1, 11. It says this, Filled with the fruit of righteousness. So that fruit is doing the things that reflect the character of God. Reflect the rightness of God. That comes through Jesus. Once again, fruit bearing is from Jesus. But fruit bearing is to the glory of God. We seek to bear the fruit. We've just finished Galatians, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Spirit of God does that, births it through us. All of those are so that God gets more famous through our lives. And verse 20 of our passage in Mark chapter 4 tells us the inextricable link between hearing and accepting and bearing fruit. Summary, fruit bearing is fueled by the word. It is fueled by the word. So I want to encourage you this week. You might have made a New Year's resolution and you might have already blown it regarding Bible reading. That's okay. I want to encourage you to look at this week. 
And I want to encourage you, whether it's in the morning, whether it's right before you go to bed, whether it's lunchtime or a break, that every single day this week, you would seek to make it your aim to listen and receive and be underneath the Word of God. Don't hear anything other than, it could be two minutes, could be 22 minutes, it could be two hours. That's not the point. Be underneath it. Be underneath it this week. And ask the Lord to explode your heart with the fruit of His Holy Spirit. The reason I think it's crucial that Jesus calls Himself the bread of life is because the Word and time with Him is just that important. So this is something else I would encourage you to do this week. Every time you grab food, whether it be grabbing it on the go, whether it's sitting down around a meal, this is what's meant to happen. (laughs) This is the spirit behind what some people make kind of this idea of you, you pray at meals. I think that's a good thing. It's what we do in our house. Why is that? Because this is what I want you to be encouraged to say. I pray this phrase flows through your mind as you're about ready to put some food in your mouth. I need Jesus and His Word more. More than what I'm about to eat. More than what's in the bag from the restaurant as you're sprinting from one thing to the next. I just want this phrase to flow through your mind and into your heart. I need Jesus and His Word more. Can we say it together? I need Jesus and His Word more. Every time you eat, every time you eat, because Jesus is the bread of life. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so I pray, you remember, He is your keeper. Here's a quote from a man named Ray Ortland that just blessed me to no end about the love of God. And what our posture is to receive it. He says this. Christianity is a willingness to be loved. And He promises to love out of you. Everything resistant to His love. And to love into you. Everything receptive of His love. And how does He do that? He does that through His love word. Let's pray. Father, I ask that your love for us would be so shocking, would be so overwhelmingly beautiful that we would realize it is nothing we can earn, but it is something we must receive. Are we willing to take you at your word And receive all that you have for us there. And so Father we ask. We ask that your Holy Spirit would take your word. And love out of us. Everything resistant to your love. And oh God. Love into us. Everything receptive of your love. We need a fresh word from you today. And we have it. By your Holy Spirit on these precious pages. Teaching us moment by moment. Of your glory. And your sufficiency. And your greatness. And your consistency. And your supremacy. And your worthiness. And your faithfulness. And your love to never give up upon your people. So Father, I pray for your children in this room. That yes, they would hear this passage as a warning. Not to give up. But they would be more aware of their Savior who has a grip upon us. 
Our hope is in you, O God. It's in your ability to keep your sheep. And so, Father, continue to work fertile soil into our hearts. Bust up the hard ground that might be found in crevices of our heart. That we might be holy, unapologetically, excitedly yours. Oh, Father, I have such hope for what you can and will do in a people who are committed to behold you day by day in your word. Reorient us. Cause us to feast upon you in your precious word. We pray this for your glory. And in Jesus' name. And in a spirit of prayer, dear church family, we are going to take the Lord's Supper. And as we take this Lord's Supper, it is week in and week out an opportunity for the children of God to declare what they declared at their baptism. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And I am dying to sin. And you are raising me to new life. And I want to walk with you. So by the power of the Spirit as you are ready in this last song get up from your seat if you are a follower of Jesus and you love Him go to one of the two tables in the front and one in the back get that bread and cup and use it as an opportunity to yes confess sin but also to confess his amazing love for you. Rehearse his beauty. Ask him to do a work in your life. If you're not a follower of Jesus, don't take of this meal. But in this moment right now, call out to Jesus to save you, to rescue you. Admit that you cannot save yourself. And by simple faith alone, say, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. That Savior's not me. It's not any relationship. It's not any possession. That Savior is Jesus alone. And I need Jesus to rescue me. So wherever you find yourself, let's use this time to hear, to accept, and to bear fruit. Let's take the Lord's Supper.